Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, national NBA writer for the Washington Post. Um, coming to you from uh, San Francisco early Friday morning, um, where I recorded a podcast uh, over the phone with Bill Orm from the Southern California News Group earlier today. Uh, Bill, ironically, uh, is in Washington, where the Lakers lost to the Wizards on Thursday. Uh, but we talked before the game started about all of the Lakers' young players and, most importantly, uh, the surprise return of Magic Johnson uh, to to assist owner Jeannie Buss in a variety of ways, seemingly having carte blanche in every part of the franchise and really signaling the end of Jim Buss's time as the guy in charge of basketball operations and a new era of Laker basketball. And, you know, given everything the Lakers have coming up for them with, uh, you know, the possibility of keeping their draft pick then, which would then also allow them to keep their draft pick in 2019 and would also in the short term allow them to finally probably get the superstar player they really need to kind of jumpstart their rebuilding effort because right now it's unclear that they have one so we talked about on the podcast um to come it uh it's it's a really pivotal few months for them and it's fascinating that they've turned to magic johnson to kind of become the the steward of the franchise again so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out uh before i get to my conversation with bill i just wanted to take a minute to say thank you to everyone who subscribed to the newspaper over the past uh, 24 hours or 48 hours, I guess. Um, I think I speak for everybody at the Washington Post when I say that it was a truly humbling experience to see so many people reaching out and, and talking about how they appreciate the work that you know myself and, and most importantly, the rest of my colleagues do um, every day. Uh, I have, as I've said on this podcast many times, and I've said in public and private many times, it is a, uh, it is truly an honor and a privilege to wake up every day and say that I work for the Washington Post. It's the kind of paper I always dreamed about working for, and I have a job that I've always dreamed about having. And the fact that people are willing to support that and to go out and read our work and um, subscribe to the newspaper and subscribe to the website and believe in quality journalism uh, really means a lot. And, you know, whether it's, you know, Warriors coach Steve Kerr or, you know, my friend Zach Lowe from ESPN or just regular fans and people who just shot me a note and said, hey, I subscribed today or I've subscribed over the past few months. Every time that uh, that somebody reaches out and, and subscribes to the podcast or subscribes to the newspaper, uh, subscribe to the podcast is great, too. But um, every time anybody subscribes to the newspaper and, and takes the time to and, and, and spends, spends money to read my work. And like I said, most importantly, the, the great work that my many colleagues do, whether it's in sports or features or politics or um, Metro news or whatever, um, people around the world covering world events. It's a, uh, it's a real honor and a privilege. So thank you to everyone who's done that and to everyone who's done it in the past. It really means a lot. I'm going to wake up every day and try to make uh, anybody who reads my stuff worthwhile. So um, hopefully you feel that way and continue to read and subscribe in the future. But just wanted to take a minute to say thank you to everybody um, before we got started. And now with that, we'll get to uh, the pun master himself, Bill Orem, and have a what I think is a really interesting and fun conversation about the Lakers. So here we go. All right, Bill. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. I know you're, know you're back in, uh, in my neck of the woods in Washington while I'm out here where you're normally at on the West Coast. Uh, but... <laughs> The, uh, the big story today about the Lakers is not that they're playing the, the streaking Washington Wizards, but that they have brought back uh, 
Lakers legend Magic Johnson as advisor to Jeannie Buss in a in a move that uh, maybe to people and see Magic's kind of inane tweets at times might not really seem like a big deal, but it is a very significant deal. So I guess for for people who don't know why, just kind of walk through why why this is a pretty important thing, just be, beyond the fact that you know a guy like Magic who's got such a big name with the Lakers is back around with the team. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Tim. You know, this is a pretty critical juncture in Lakers history. There are a lot of questions about where this team is going, both with its, you know, its young core and also in terms of management with Jim Buss and uh, Mitch Kupchak having, you know, run the team in recent years with, with little success. So this is viewed as the year that Jeannie Buss is going to evaluate whether or not she brings back her brother in the same management role that he's held um, since their dad died. And, and Magic Johnson has not held back when it has come to Jim Buss over the years. Um, he's been extremely critical of decisions he's made uh, in terms of coaching hires. He has said that um, he, you know, kind of runs things, you know, on his own without seeking input from others, uh, that he hasn't given Mitch Kupchak enough uh, authority to make moves. And so it creates a really strange dynamic inside Lakers headquarters where Jeannie has brought Magic on board to advise her when we already know what Magic thinks. He, he doesn't believe in Jim Buss. So it would, it would be very easy to interpret this as, um, as, you know, kind of the death knell for Jim Buss as the executive vice president overseeing basketball operations, um, as the person who is the ultimate basketball decision maker. Um, it may not go that direction. I mean, obviously, you know, who, who knows exactly what Jeannie Buss is thinking other than Jeannie Buss, but obviously – this, if I'm Jim Buss, this does not make me feel more secure in, in, in my future with the Lakers. No, and that, and that was what I was alluding to in that, you know, there's been talk for multiple years now about, you know, this, this, this three-year plan that the Lakers have, let, you know, have been on right. that Jim Buss talked about to the L.A. Times back in 2014 saying that within three years we're going to be really competitive again. And at the time, you know, he thought that they were going to be able to get guys like Carmelo Anthony or Marcus Aldridge or – um, or Kevin Durant and free agency, and they would be really good, and things would be fine. And instead, the Lakers have endured you know, their worst season in franchise history, and, and will wind up being three of I think they're probably four or five worse in the end. And um, they they haven't gotten any of these players, and they have a young core that is, while full of interesting players, is not necessarily full of franchise changing players, and um, has left them in this position where now, you know, coming into this season. You know, this was really supposed to be the pivotal year. Now that they had all these young guys, they had Luke Walton as a coach, you know, were they potentially going to take a step forward? And then, you know, earlier this year, you wrote, I, I thought, a, an excellent uh, profile on Jeannie Buss, kind of laying out that exact question you just laid out just previously about what she's going to do. And in it, uh, Jim Buss had, you know, I, I, for the first time in a while, pretty extended comments on where he thought the Lakers were going. Um, which, given what ha- what has happened since, is pretty relevant. So, so if you could kind of walk people through that conversation and and uh, you know and what Jim what Jim's stance on the season was at that point. Yeah, I mean, so it was still early. I mean, it was it was December. You know, the Lakers had a bad month, but they weren't that far removed from their ten and ten January. Ran right on December. Christmas, right though. Yeah, so so they were ten and ten in November, and you know, everything was very promising and encouraging. You know, the Lakers looked like an outside, like a dark horse playoff team. Um, so there was a lot of positivity, and really, I mean, you're starting to think, man, maybe Jim hangs onto his job here if he did build himself a playoff team. Um, 
but what he said in December was that he was he did not think that there was any he thought it would be a mistake for the Lakers to make a change in management at this point when they're still so early in the game with all their young players. It's very difficult to evaluate um, kind of where they are and where they're going at this stage. But it's really a broader question of how Jeannie Buss feels about her brother and whether she trusts him in this role. Uh, you know, she she felt like she feels like any, that her dad would have would have figured out how to, how to navigate this some way one way or another the, Jerry Buss would have made sure would not have let the Lakers be this bad for this long and 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 she believes that deeply and so I, I've, I've maintained all along that there will be some kind of change whether it's a restructuring that brings in someone else um, whether it is um, an outright firing which is the is the bloodiest of the options um, but but I I think that there's always been a sen- sentiment that something is going to change that that Jim Buss viewed his deadline sort of as this um, you know he's an he's a, I mean if you know Jim Buss he's very casual he's off the cuff he's you know he he might say things that are a little extreme but you you know it comes from a good place and so when he said uh, within three years you know that's that was my pledge that's a hopeful pledge. And, you know, he probably would have told you, it's like, well, gosh, don't fire me if, like, you know, like, if you told him that Kobe Bryant was going to, you know, have a farewell tour and that they were not going to, that, that free agency was going to play out the way they did, he would have said, gosh, don't fire me over that. That's stuff that's out of my control. But Jeannie has been very clear that she took him seriously and she intended to hold him to his pledge. So there's really no secret that um, that Jeannie Buss is considering her options and bringing Magic in to – in an official role to um, advise her on matters exactly like this. I mean, the, the release the Lakers sent said um, all basketball and business matters. Well, this is the biggest one that Jeannie Buss is going to encounter. And Magic Johnson is absolutely going to be a part of those discussions. And like I said earlier, we know where he stands on this. So that doesn't bode well for Jim Buss. No, and, and when you mentioned him making off-the-cuff comments, what I was setting you up for was what I know we talked about at the time was the most, I thought, important quote in that entire story uh, because I think we both thought we knew where the Lakers were going even though they had gotten off to that nice start because they were starting to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jim Buss, in one of his off-the-cuff comments, like his three-year pledge comment, said, well, if we wind up being one of the two or three worst teams in the Western Conference, then maybe I'd feel differently about making a change. But I don't think that's yeah. going to be the case. Well, not only not only are the Lakers <laughs> going to wind up being one of the two or three worst teams in the Western Conference, they're going to wind up being probably the second worst team in the entire NBA this season. And right. and so <laughs> that it's another to your point. That's another example of him kind of saying something, you know, flipping at the time that is right. going to be another log on the fire for people who think that it's time for him to go this spring. Yeah, I, I just think that, um, you know, Jim Buss is well-intentioned, and if you talk to people within the Lakers organization, um, the way he's perceived externally is is, 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 is is very negative. I mean, incompetent, not smart, you know, all these things. Um, and that's really not the case. I mean, people will tell you that he's highly intelligent. He works hard. He understands the CBA. He, he takes this very seriously, which it obviously is is what makes it so frustrating that, that they have not been able to turn a corner. But at some point, you know, there has to be some accountability for three losing seasons like they endured and now a fourth. Um, obviously, Luke Walton isn't going to get fired. It's, you, can't, you can't fire this coach. Um, he, has, he has probably as much job security as anybody in the league at this point. And everybody um, thinks he's done a good job, too, even though the record yeah, is every, great. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, absolutely. Everybody believes that, you know, he is the right guy to coach these young players, even though, you know, there's some question about whether these are, in fact, the right young players. So I I think, um, you know, somebody's ultimately going to be held accountable for for kind of what the Lakers have have gone through. And, you know, Jeannie Buss is the decision maker. And it just just stands to reason that there will be some sort of change in the front office. And just bringing Magic on board, I I can't stress this enough to me, just is, is the writing on the wall. Yeah, no, I agree too. I mean, that was the first thing I thought when I saw that when I saw that tweet come out from the Lakers. It said, you know, Magic Johnson is back. Basically, uh, you you couldn't help but think you couldn't help but think that this is it for for Jim Boss. And you know, like you said, maybe maybe it doesn't mean that he is fired. Um, mm-hmm. But but if but if he, you know, if his role changes to something different and there's somebody brought in that is in charge of basketball operations, it doesn't really matter whether he's fired or not. It's Right, his that that the the whole the whole tenor of the franchise would change pretty dramatically if that happened. Yeah, it would just be. I mean, his his role changing is going to be is, is what would be significant. So, um, you know, obviously it's it's a it's a it's a big day for the Lakers. Like, let's let's review this history a little bit. You know, Magic Johnson has been associated with the Lakers for most of his adult life. You know, five championships in the '80s, became a part owner. Um, you know, was always very visible around the Lakers, but the relationship got kind of strained over the last few years. You know, you had Magic on Twitter frequently calling out Jim Buss was highly critical. Um, he sold his ownership stake in the team, his 4.5% in the team. The Lakers left him as, you know, an honorary vice president on their staff listing as a courtesy. And and he um, really, you know, turned off a lot of people by by kind of remaining so critical of the direction of the franchise. But one thing that didn't change is that he – you know, he remains close with Jeannie Buss. She, he has always had her ear. You know, there was a story that came out that, you know, when, when Magic was at a game earlier this month next to Jeannie, um, that earlier they'd had dinner and they discussed kind of the state of the team. And, you know, Mark Medina, who works with me at the Southern California News Group, caught up with Magic. And Magic said, look, that's not strange. You know, we have this conversation. We talk all the time. We do this, you know, we do a state of the team thing where she, you know, gets solicits my input once a year. So, it wasn't strange that they got together, and it's, it, it's just notable that they're making it official now because Jeannie, as I noted in the, in the profile you mentioned, she has a close circle of friends, people in business, sports, entertainment, who she leans on. She does not make decisions in a bubble. Unlike what Magic has accused her brother of doing, um, she is very much uh, inclusive in the decision-making process, and that's something that she got from her dad. And, and so the fact that she's bringing Magic in really is just a more official – um, just gives lends more heft to something that was probably already happening. You know, he was already going to have input uh, in what she did this summer. But now Magic's there. He's going to have a role in player evaluation, development. I mean, all these things that really weren't in, within his purview just as a friend to Jeannie Buss, um, he's now going to have some say in. So uh, I think if you're a Laker fan, you're just excited to see Magic Johnson back with the Lakers. If you look at it from a more, um, I don't want to say cynical, but – um, a broader perspective. I mean, you definitely see this as a significant move for for what's coming down the pipe. Yeah, no, totally. Now, you you mentioned like, and and we should be clear, like, not only are they always tight, but when Magic would go on these rants about the Lakers, he he never would include Jeannie in any of that. It was no. always he, it's always been a Magic and Jim back and forth. Yeah, and it, he's also been very supportive of of Mitch Kupchak. Well, that was my next question, and and that was my next question. Do you, you know, there's been a lot of talk about not only 
what is the future of Jim Buss with the Lakers, but what is the future of Mitch Kupchak with the Lakers? Do you, do you think that, you know, along those same lines, because he has been supportive of Mitch, do you think that this maybe at the same time increases the chances of Mitch sticking around longer than maybe some people thought? Well, I, I've always thought it was possible that Mitch sticks around. Um, you know, there, there has been, there, there's, there's a line of thinking that, you know, that Jeannie could make this, you know, very um, tidy. You know, Jim could announce that he is going to, you know, remain co-owner, obviously, and remain involved with the Lakers as a, as a part owner, but that, you know, he's, he's, he's giving up his day-to-day duties. And, and that then you promote Mitch Kupchak into a you – know, you give him a promotion demotion, if you know what I mean. Right. Um, you know, give him give him a, a bigger title but less responsibility. Um, and then you actually bring in a new general manager to – to whip this team, this roster into shape. So, I mean, and, and if, if they did something like that, I mean, it would all be very respectful. Nobody would be humiliated. Um, so that's one option. Uh, and that but, seems you know, like, I mean, and that seems like the the if, if Jeannie Boss is going to choose a way to do things, that seems like the one that isn't fitting with her personality, as opposed to having it become a very nasty, protracted, bloody right. thing. Yeah, and that's just not her style. I mean, she is not. I mean. You know, I wrote this profile of her as an executive to answer this very question. You know, what was she going to do this summer? And the one thing that came up is she's not a bulldog. She's not going to – she's not ever going to overpower anyone. That's not her style in business. So I think firing um, her brother, she has the she has the stomach for it, but I think that she would probably want to do it in a, in a manner that is is respectful and um, and and tidy. Yeah, no, I agree. And the, the interesting thing about all of this is that – you know, for the longest time, we kind of all suspected that at some point the person who'd be coming in in this spot wouldn't be Magic, but that'd be Phil Jackson. And mm-hmm. when when Phil and Jeannie broke up uh, their very long-term relationship a few months ago, or uh, a few weeks ago, I guess I should say, there was kind of a thought that, well, maybe there isn't really going to be an, uh, an option to come in as kind of an overseer of some kind. And, uh, you know, that, that there, was a, there was a line of thinking that, well, maybe this will lead to Jim and Mitch you know, potentially getting more time than we thought. Now, obviously, today's announcement has kind of swung the pendulum back in the other direction. Obviously. Yeah. Well, and look, there's been a lot of speculation about what direction Jeannie would go with, with, with the front office. I mean, there's been, you know, there's been some chatter that, you know, Jerry West could return in, in sort of the role that many people saw Phil, Phil Jackson coming in, in at, um, you know, there's young executives say, around the say, league. I don't think that, I still don't know if that's impossible either. I don't either. I think I I think that Jerry West um, would would be interested potentially for the right for the right price and also for the right the right responsibilities. I mean, he's not going to come in and and run the show like he did in the '90s and, and '80s, you know, building the roster. But I mean, really, who better? And Mag- and Magic has said this. Magic said on Twitter at one point that they needed someone like Jerry West to come in and be the face of the franchise and. And so I, I suspect, you know, knowing how much Jeannie admires and respects Jerry West and knowing that Magic Johnson feels exactly the same way, I would suspect that's a conversation they would be having. Oh, I, I think so, too. And, and he, he has a relationship with Luke Walton, his relationship with Jeannie. Jeannie's mm-hmm. a huge fan of Jerry. I, I, could definitely, I could definitely see that happening. But let's, let's, yeah. let's, let's switch to the team for a little bit. Obviously, you know, like we talked about, uh, it's been a rough, a uh, couple of months for the Lakers. They start off ten and ten. It looks like, to your, like you said, they might be able to be a fringe playoff contender in the West. Now, since then, they have completely fallen apart. 
Um, I don't know exactly what the record is, but it's been putrid ever since. And, uh, right. you know, they've, they've plummeted to the bottom of the West. Um, what, as, as you've kind of watched this play out, um, you know, beyond the fact that they just have a very young roster, I think it's just kind of come back to reality after a hot start. What, what have your been your overall takeaways from, from this team through the opening, uh, you know, few months of the season? It's, it's, it's disappointing. I, I think people expected more from D'Angelo Russell this year. I think people, there was an assumption that with, with Luke Walton coming in and running the same style that they played in, in Golden State, that he would take a bigger jump than he has. Um, you know, Jordan Clarkson is pretty much the same player he's been. Uh, Julius Randle has been up and down. Brandon Ingram is, is, is slow, is developing slowly. Might still be a star. I mean, the Lakers remain very high on, on Brandon Ingram, but he's not there yet. So I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's been disappointing. But th- I say that, and here we are, and at the end of January, the Lakers had 17 wins, which is many, as many as they had last year in Kobe Bryant's last season. So there is, pro- there is progress being made. Um, you know, they've been in a lot of close games that they've lost. They don't know how to close games. You know, typically you can, you can drill down to one five-minute stretch where they lost a game. Um, so it's, it's really – it seems to be kind of like a, a focus issue for these guys. I mean, they're terrible defensively, which is which is a theme that um, has has remained over the last four or five years with this with the Lakers. You know, it's just it's just paramount that they get some defensive players in here, some somebody to come in and set the tone. I mean, if I'm if I'm running the Lakers th- this summer, and who knows? I mean, maybe I will be. You never know uh, what direction the <laughs> will go. I mean, but you did write a nice book about Zini Bus. Maybe he'll get one in my master plan comes into focus. That's um, right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm looking for a defender. I'm looking for I'm looking for a first team All NBA caliber defensive player this summer because I think that that is they, the Lakers need somebody to set the tone defensively. I also am not I'm I'm done you know thinking that it's going to develop internally in players who haven't been able to do it who've shown they can't do it. You know, Julius Randle um, is in his third year, second second year of actually playing. Um, has not been able to you know, turn it on defensively. D'Angelo Russell is never going to be a great defender. Jordan Clarkson not going to be a great defender. Brandon Ingram might become a great defender, but I'm but I'm, I'm getting but a veteran. Also, who, but that's also going to take quite a while if it does happen. Right, exactly. And look, everything about Brandon Ingram is it's going to take a while. Same with Avita Zubats, who the Lakers are remarkably high on, and I think over the last week or so you've seen why. Um, but I just I just think that that is probably the biggest issue facing this team is they can't defend. And no one they have knows how to defend or is willing to do the work to defend. You look at the veterans they brought in in the offseason, uh, Timothy Mozgov and, and Lou Aldang. I mean, you might as well just call him Lou Aldang because there's no D. Oh, that's such a bad <laughs> Twitter joke. Bad Twitter joke. I'm sorry. You came on the podcast, so I should have just assumed to be at least one of those, if not more. So that's, that's all right. Oh yeah, but I'll tell you. I'll tell you, Tim. Since I'm in Washington, I went to the National Portrait Gallery yesterday, and um, okay. you know, went, went through the the, the the hall that has all the presidents' portraits, mm-hmm. and there were at least, in, at least two of the little write-ups that were puns, like little puns about the presidents. And I was oh, like, okay. you know what? If, if if you can get into the Smithsonian with puns, I'm, I must be doing okay. <laughs> I guess I guess so. I can't I can't argue with that. <laughs> I can't argue with that. Um, let, let's let's focus on these young guys a little bit because uh, that really is, you know, for the first time in a while, this isn't about Kobe Bryant and the mm-hmm. idiocy of his winding down of his career, and it's instead about um, finally focusing on developing these young players. Um, 
you know, you, you kind of just ran through them and, and kind of just trashed their defense, which, which I, I think is fair. Um, but what, what, what has been your impression of the development of all of those young guys uh, over the course of this season so far? You know, D'Angelo Russell was playing really well in November, and he got hurt. He had a knee thing. They did a PRP injection, and he really has has struggled to get back to where he was, um, but was having an okay January, was, was putting up numbers, um, like was flirting with triple doubles, um, yeah, in that, I mean, he was getting, you know, 28 and 6, you know what I mean? Like, the, the, those are those are really good numbers for him. And then he fell off the face of the earth again. He got injured again, and now he's back. So I, I think that, you know, the question with D'Angelo Russell is, if he turns it up a couple of notches, can he sustain it? Can he be that player night in and night out for the next 12 seasons? Uh, Julius Randle, kind of the same way. I thought Julius Randle had really turned a corner in his career. Um, he was starting to play a lot smarter. I thought that for a lot of a lot of what we have seen from him, he, he'd been pretty reckless with the ball, um, out of control, always wanted to have the ball in his hands, always wanted to be attacking, wasn't a very cerebral style. And I think that's what Luke Walton is demanding of these guys is to really be thinking and, and move, keep the ball moving. And, and I thought we were starting to see it where he was bringing the ball up at, at the right time. He was making better, smarter plays with the ball in his hands. Um, it, you know, and then it just kind of, uh, kind of all just stopped happening. You know, December and January, uh, just, it's kind of like they all hit pause or something, and, and they stopped getting better. Um, Randall has, you know, Randall had a kid in, in December, and I, you know, it's, it's been thrown out there, and I, I can't disagree. Having recently had a child myself, I mean, those nights at home get a lot harder. You know, it's, and I, it's a lot harder to, um, to bring the same intensity to work when you've been up all night with your baby. So I wonder if there's a little bit of truth to that. Um, you know, and then he also, you know, was diagnosed with pneumonia last week. You know, so it's, you know, with all these guys, with the exception of Jordan Clarkson, um, who've been around for a few years, there have been injuries and, and, and wellness things to, to kind of keep knocking him back. So I feel like the development has been gradual. Um, you know, and you expected that with, with Brandon Ingram. Everybody said he was very raw, that he was a couple of years away. Um, and, you, and, you can, and you completely understand that. But I think with D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle, you're waiting for them to just turn it on and say, yes, we are, we, and to establish themselves as guys you want to build around. And so far, it's, been, it's just been too inconsistent to say, yes, it is, it, it, that, that time has come. Yeah, but what what have what is your what have your thought been, thoughts been on the rookies um, Ingram and Ingram and Zubac? You know, I know I know Zubac in particular. I'd like you to talk about because you know, we're high on him, and a lot of people don't outside of Los Angeles, especially, don't really know anything about him at this point. You know, uh, Zubac is a guy who, even in the summer, you had people with the Lakers saying, you know, he might have a little Marcus Saul in him, and you know that was, you know, that was a pretty pretty hefty praise for a kid who came in, you know, 19 years old, you know, was, was chubby coming out of, you know, coming into the draft summer league showed up. Nobody knew really what they had in him. He wasn't eligible to practice for the first couple of days. They threw him into a game and he was, I, I think Luke Walton called him sensational the other day. I mean, he has great post moves, great feel for the game. Um, he needed to get stronger. He needed to get better defensively. So they viewed him as just, you know, this is a, a, a learning year for him. He was going to come along in the D League, practice with the Lakers. And then here the last few weeks, he's started getting some minutes, and he's been great. You know, three double-doubles in five games. He had 
uh, career high in points again on Tuesday night. You know, there's really um, there's really flashes with this kid that he he could be you know a stalwart center for them. Um, you know, can really move, can run the floor, passes really well. I mean, he had a couple of he had he's had a couple passes that will just blow your mind for somebody up that young. Now he look he played he played professionally uh, overseas. You know he is not coming in you know as a you know 19 year old with a year of college under his belt. I mean he played professional basketball. It's obviously different from the NBA. It's obviously a lesser a lesser game, but I think that that matters. I think that helped prepare him. And and he has said that Luke Walton telling him not to expect to play was was motivation for him. It 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 pushed him to get better faster and. You know, NBA seasons are very, very long, and there are there are injuries, and there are you know lulls, and there was bound to be an opportunity for Zubats to play a few minutes, and he is, um, and he is, and he's he's seized it. I mean, you really you can't say anything bad about what he's done with his opportunity in the last couple of weeks. Ingram, on the other hand, um, has kind of gone the other direction. Early in January, he was marvelous. He had a stretch where he was shooting. You know, 50% from three, he was, he was, you know, tallying assists. He was playing really well defensively. And I actually wrote a column calling for him to start. You know, whether it's over Lou Aldang or whether, you know, you're moving other pieces around, I said, you know, it's time to, it's time to, it's time to feature Brandon Ingram from the start of games. Um, and ever since I wrote that, and we'll, we'll call it the Bill Orham curse, I guess, you know, he's really, he's really struggled. Uh, he started, um, Four games ago in Dallas, it was the first game D'Angelo Russell missed with his uh, calf and knee injury, and he really struggled at point guard. They tried, they tried that again. It didn't work. He went back to the bench to for the next two game games. Like, they only happened to lose that game. Forty-nine by points, five yeah. million yeah. points. So I think yeah. he was minus there you go. forty-five. <laughs> yeah, it was it was brutal. And and then the next two games, he came back off the bench again, and he would scoreless. I mean, right. I think he was zero for thirteen or something like that. And it's it's just it's you 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 it, it kind of it strains your imagination how somebody could be so good in the 10 games leading up to that and so ineffective uh, you know for two three four games afterwards I, I i really don't understand how that happens you know luke walton has said it's possible he had a bit of a rookie wall um you know we hear that all the time uh, you know he's at 50 games 53 games or something like that in his rookie in, in his in his rookie year, obviously more games than he's ever played in this in this short of period of time. I mean, kind of the and stuff you hear about and, every rookie. And he's not exactly and and Brandon Ingram is not exactly built at this point, you know, literally to handle the rigors of an 82 game season. Absolutely, absolutely. Of guys, you'll see in the league. So I, I, you know, I think all that adds up to just kind of what we've talked about. There's going to be ups and downs, but when he has played well, I mean, you can see it. I mean, you can see him, in, you know, as an all star player. Uh, his shot needs to come come along. I mean, that's that's something I think everybody's a little surprised by that he isn't shooting the ball better. You know, offense is obviously what we kind of were promised with him, and you know, but when he turns when he turns up when he goes into turbo mode and attacks the rim, um, I mean, he's he's pre- he's pretty incredible to watch. So I think that you know, with Zubats and, and Ingram, frankly, I mean, if you're looking at evaluating this Lakers young core, those might be the two most exciting guys in the whole in the whole, in the whole group. Yeah. Which is, which is something that it, at least the difference between this year and the last couple is that at least with the Lakers, they're playing these young guys and you can at least see them getting chances to grow and develop, which is a, which is a nice change from 
where they've been the last couple of years where they were, you know, obviously everything was centered around Kobe and, and just kind of the, things were kind of in stasis as they always, uh, you know, waiting for, waiting for him to depart the scene. But the, the one, the one positive to the fact that they've fallen off the map kind of goes back to the thing we've kind of hinted around this whole time, which is that, you know, it isn't really clear that the Lakers have their next franchise star on the roster. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I certainly agree with you that I think, you know, if Ingram is, is too young to be sure about it, but there's, there's certainly not, you're certainly not going to leave this season thinking Brandon Ingram's going to be a star like say Porzingis last year or Towns last right. year or some of these other guys. I mean, the, the debate is going to be out there, which is why the fact that they still have a chance to keep this top three pick again this year um, because of this swoon they've had, you know, is so intriguing for them given Given the top of this draft, looks like it's it's as good as it's been in a long time. I'm actually going to um, Seattle on Saturday to watch Washington and UCLA play, uh, which will feature the the likely top two picks in the back in the draft. Uh, Marco Fultz and Lonzo Ball playing against each other. So, how, is there already? I imagine there's already a lot of talk in LA about um, the fact that the Lakers could maybe somehow get a fourth straight or a third straight top three pick and um, and hang on to that pick again and get another guy that could maybe finally be the, the, the leader of this group going forward. Yeah, it's amazing. I think, I think all of us, when the Lakers were able to hold on to their pick this year, all said, okay, they are going to take enough of a step. No matter what, they're not going to keep their pick, but you know what? The, the rest of the, you know, if you don't, it's not going to need to be 17 wins to, to stay in the top, the top three this year. I mean, there's just the, the, the level, the bottom of the league has elevated a little bit and the middle of the league obviously is, is down. So, I mean, actually, you know, they could be at 25 wins and, and be right there in the mix to keep their pick. Um, Amusingly enough, I mean, they've, they're still close enough to a playoff spot that they can't fully commit to that, even though this team ain't going to the playoffs. Right. But it's really been kind of, it's one, it's one of the most fascinating things of the year. They can't fully commit to, the draft because how do you give up on the playoffs when you're only, you know, half a dozen games out with, you know, 35 games left. I mean, you could, you could theoretically sneak into the playoffs if you, if you run, if you strung off some wins. Yeah. And, you know, and, and like you said, they're not going to have to worry about that. But the, the funny thing about it is, is to your point, I mean, all the teams in front of them basically are going to keep playing their guys. I mean, there's not really, you know, I, I even think that Phoenix is going to pull ahead of them pretty significantly as the year goes on. I think, you know, I think Phoenix is going to get better as the year goes on. Eric Bledsoe's been great. You know, and, and you look, the Heat have now won nine in a row. I mean, the Heat looked like they were going to be um, – mm-hmm. it looked like the Heat were going to be, you know, fighting with the Nets maybe for the worst record in the East. And they've won nine in a row, and now they're only a couple games out of a playoff spot. And, you know, they've, they've flown past the Lakers. So, really, other than the Nets, um, who are hopelessly – out of the running is for having the worst record in the league and not having their pick at all, which is a disaster. Um, you know, the Lakers look like they're probably going to settle into that number two spot in the draft lottery, in my opinion. And, you know, again, that puts them in a position where they need two teams to jump over them to, to lose that pick. And if they could somehow, if they could somehow keep that pick again and get another young player, um, especially in a draft where, you know, let's say they get the, first or second pick and could take Lonzo Ball, the Southern California kid who's playing at UCLA at point guard. I mean, that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, things could, things could start looking a lot different for this team really quick from a fan perspective. If they, they keep that pick and get another young stud like him or Fultz and Magic is involved and, uh, you know, Jim Boss, who fans are not a fan of, 
know, is, is moved aside. I mean, that, it, it could be, it could be a very different picture six months from now from the, the frustrating one the Laker fans are, are looking at at the moment. Yeah. And I think what's interesting though, is the, the Laker fans just have to recognize this is not going to be a quick fix. You know, I, like Magic Johnson told us, told the Southern California news group, such a mouthful, told uh, those of us <laughs> at the Southern California news group, Laker fans are tired of losing. And that's, and there's no question that this is, this is a fan base that has been conditioned to win games and be in the playoffs and win championships. And, and, but this is not something that's going to turn around immediately, especially if they're adding another young player. So while keeping that pick is, is, would be a real boon to kind of their, their, their long-term hopes. I mean, man, you're just committing to more years of rebuilding, which I think, um, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how many more young draft picks Jeannie Buss is interested in, frankly. Um, you know, but that, that just speaks to where the Lakers are as a franchise. Well, and look, part of the problem for the Lakers, right, is that they have operated under a certain set of rules for a long time. And they were rules that didn't really apply to any other team because they played in this, mm-hmm. you know, played in Southern California and played in Los Angeles and guys wanted to play there. And they were all, you know, they always had, you know, brilliant executives, you know, Jerry West for a long time and who, who managed to make moves to get, you know, Pau Gasol and Shaq and Kobe and, you know, they, they were always retooling and getting the next guy, getting Dwight, almost like Chris Paul. You know, there was a, a you know, a, a long history of them getting basically whatever they wanted. And really, ever since that Chris Paul trade got vetoed, the last five years have seen the Lakers mm-hmm. really struggle. And, you know, they the, we mentioned early, right off the top, you know, they've, they've been disastrous in free agency. Um, they haven't gotten any of those guys, you know, any of the guys have really targeted over the last few years. Um, and now with the, with the changes of the new collective bargaining agreement that just got ratified last month, um, you know, them going out and getting superstar players has gotten significantly harder. Um, guys like DeMarcus Cousins, who normally would be, you know, a year from free agency this summer and, uh, you know, would seem like prime targets for them to swoop in and, and trade for it at discount because they want to come play for the Lakers or Paul George or, or a lot of these guys you know, teams are going to be a lot more reluctant to hang on to, to trade those guys because, you know, for instance, for, for instance, DeMarcus Cousins is going to get a $220 million extension from the Kings. So whether he wants to leave or not, that's so much money. He's not going to, he's not going to leave for that. And it's really going to put, um, it, it's really going to put the Lakers in a position where, you know, you, I think you're probably right about Jeannie Buss, maybe not wanting another young player, but they they have to take the long, slow, painful road back because, you know, the way the CBA is set up, they, they don't really have a lot of other avenues to try to, to try to pull this off successfully at this point. Yeah, I agree. I mean, unless, I mean, unless there is a, a, a tailor-made situation where, where there is somebody who is, you know, who, who, who makes sense to be traded and the Lakers can put together the right package, which frankly, I'm not sure they can right now. I'm not sure, right. you know, I'm not sure what kind of value D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randall have, I don't think they're willing to trade Brandon Ingram. I think that is the guy that, you know, a lot, and, and Zubats also, but especially Brandon Ingram. I don't, I mean, obviously when the team is this bad and has been for so long, you don't want to say anybody's untouchable. I would say Brandon Ingram though, is the guy they would be the most reluctant to move. Um, I'm not really sure what the Lakers have, just to echo what you said, have in terms of options other than to develop organically and, and, and live the, live the life that, 
you know, every other team in the NBA has had to try to figure out over the last 30 years. I mean, this is, this is, they've, they've enjoyed being able to just bring in superstar after superstar. And, you know, it's not going to be that way anymore. So, yes, like the Lakers will have to rebuild like the Utah Jazz rebuilt. And that took years. And now they're reaping the benefits of, of that. They're reaping the rewards. And, and, and what are those in 2017? And, and the Utah Jazz, you know, which, you know, you, you covered before you came to LA. So, you know, it's not a coincidence you brought them up. You know, it, right. that that is, I think, probably the most instructive example because you look at the Jazz, and their best player is Gordon Hayward, and or you can say their two best players are Gordon Hayward and Rudy Gobert, two excellent players, both All Stars. You know, Rudy Gobert not an All Star. I thought he should have been. Um, Gordon Hayward yeah, makes his first All Star team, um, but those are guys who are borderline top twenty five guys in the league, and mm-hmm. they have a team that's developed with you know, a bunch of depth and two guys that are borderline all-stars. And I think, right. you know, if the if the Lakers get a pick in this draft, they're probably going to wind up with a guy with a much higher ceiling than that because it looks like Fultz and Ball and these guys at the top of this draft all could be real superstar-level players. But if they don't, I think that you're looking at a very similar situation to that Utah team, which, you know, you have a bunch of very, you know, guys that can get to a very good level but maybe can't get to a great level. And the difference is the Lakers still have the ability if, say, Paul George doesn't make an All-NBA team next year, you know, they, they are still going to be a team that's going to be attractive to guys like that or a team like Utah isn't. Right. So it's not, like they're, it's not like they're in a hopeless situation if they, if they don't get that star young guy. But for them, I, I, I do think it's important for, like you said, for Laker fans to be patient and realize that the days of them just going out and poaching – star player some other teams has probably come and gone at this point yeah absolutely and and, you know just one more thing about that jazz team um they also would they they were savvy enough with the the moves they made in the in off the offseason like they would have never signed a luol dang to a long-term high dollar contract when they when they were in the middle of their rebuild like that's the sort of decision that the lakers make that 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 is 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 really difficult to, to digest because you know, you're signing a guy for the long term, and the long term is still coming into focus. Uh, really, really kind of a strange summer last year for the Lakers, adding Dang and Mozgov for so much money and for so long. Yeah, and that's that's part of the reason why that's you know to come full circle. That's that's you know, you're 100 percent right. I mean, and that's that's one of the reasons why you know Jim Buss's job is in jeopardy now. I mean, they they signed Mozgov half an hour into free agency because they had struggled to get guys a few years prior and wanted, wanted to get somebody. So they got him and they, they got Luol for a, you know, a higher price than anybody else was willing to pay. Um, and while those aren't, those aren't joking, Noah level bad contracts because they, you know, those guys have at least been serviceable, even though they haven't been very good. Um, they're, they're still not great. And, you know, to your point, those are contracts that are now on your books for a while now. And, and through the Trump administration. Yeah. Through the Trump administration, I mean, it's it, you know, and, and that's a way, and that, and and when you look at it that way, that's you know, thirty, thirty-four, thirty-five million dollars a year tied up in two guys that you you know, if you had you know maybe gone with shorter-term deals, you could turn around and invest in another free agent down the road. That mm-hmm. you know, and, and again, that all comes back to the the uh, the lack of a long-term plan and and why you know why why Jim Buss's job now could be in real trouble now. The magic is back. Yeah. Absolutely. Sorry, man. Well, thank you. Uh, you got to go cover the, the streaking wizards. So thank you for uh, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. You want to give the people uh, some stuff to plug and where they can find your work before you go? 
But just always uh, follow along on Twitter at Bill Orem and uh, OCRegister.com. It's probably the best um, the best portal for all of our work on the Lakers and, and Clippers. Um, you know, obviously it's a it's a fascinating time in Laker history. So check that out and and uh, we'll see where this thing goes. Yeah, and you can follow Bill on Twitter and see all of his ridiculous puns. So I'm trying to cut back. Yeah. That, that'll last for about a day. You it's like a new, it's like a it's like a New Year's resolution diet. It'll last like three days and then it'll be over. Uh, you can't help yourself. So, thanks a lot, buddy. I appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, thanks to Bill. You can follow him on Twitter. Uh, you can also read his work uh, in part of the Southern California News Group, as he said at the Register and everywhere else. Uh, he does a great job writing about the Lakers. That's got great insight. So give him a follow. You can follow me on Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA, on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. You can please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. Uh, the ratings and reviews help. Uh, I do a newsletter every week, the Monday Morning Post-Up. Uh, please subscribe to that. Trying to increase the readership of that a little bit. There's going to be some exciting stuff coming with that in future weeks that I'm, I'm really excited about doing. So hopefully you could take the time to look at that. Um, Thank you to Glenn Yoder in the Western States for the theme music for the podcast. Please go buy their stuff. Those guys, uh, Glenn's the digital sports editor at the Washington Post. It's kind enough to let me use one of his band's songs for the pod. People have loved it, so hopefully you can go out and get that. And uh, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, thank you to everybody who subscribed to the paper. It's really meant a lot. Um, so thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, but with that, I'll let you guys go. Have a great weekend. Uh, enjoy the football game on Sunday. Um, and enjoy the basketball in between, and we will uh, we'll check back with you next week on whatever's happening next in the NBA. So, so thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you all again soon.